Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Father, you tell us in the book of James, uh, we're reminded through your word that often we have not because we ask not. And so today, um, we humble ourselves enough to admit what the burden that we're carrying, the heaviness that we feel today, that we are not enough, <laughs> that we can't heal ourselves, we can't fix what's broken in us, we can't solve the problems and issues around us on our own. We humble ourselves enough, and we have the courage, the faith today to ask you, to seek you, and believe that the more we seek you, God, the more we, we find you, we find your hope and your healing and your wisdom and your truth, your peace, God. So today we, we ask you, we seek you, whatever it is that we're carrying today, it's not too much for you. It's too much for us, it's not too much for you. So we have the courage today to, to lay it at your feet and ask you to come and move in our hearts Thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Amen. We're going to open up the book of James. Nobody is shocked at that on this wintry, snowy morning. Today is a big day because we finish James chapter 4. We began this series way back in October, and here we are. It's snowing outside, and we're still in James, uh, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 4. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, we will get to it in just a minute. The first day of school, every single year, I cry. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, you don't know my story, I have four kids, and you may think I'm crying like tears of joy. You know, the old Staples commercial, it's like 20 years old now, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and the parents are dancing and throwing school supplies, and the kids look like it. So you may think I'm crying tears of joy, they're going back to school. There's a tiny bit of that, I promise, but that's not, that's not really what my tears are about. Uh, because truthfully, truthfully, that moment, that moment is emotional for me, but it's really just a moment, Right? It's a moment that comes at the end of August every year, and it's not like I get up on the second day of school when I'm weeping. So, so what is it about that moment? Uh, I, think, I think because of all the moments that we have, there's something about that moment that stands out to me. It's like, it's like if all of the moments in our lives are kind of laying here, it's like that's a moment that I can pick up and I can hold, and it just it causes me to think, right? It causes me to reflect, it causes me to pause and think about my life and think about my babies are getting old, right? And how my life is passing me by. And it's just like, just the other day, I remember when they were in diapers. I remember when we couldn't sleep all night because they were crying. And now, look at them. In high school, middle school, and elementary, right? And it's this emotional moment that's way about more than that moment, right? It's about kind of this, causes me to reflect and look at my life. My life. And... Moments are powerful, right? Those moments that cause you to stop and think about what happened. Where did it all go? 
There's joy in those moments, right? You can relate. There's moments like that that bring a lot of joy. And though I'm crying, there's joy in that. There's joy in seeing my kids, you know, another year older, taking another step, growing up. There's joy for you. Maybe it was a wedding, right? And that moment, it's a special moment, right, that you can hold in your hand and it it signifies something remarkable, something exciting. Maybe it's a birthday, a specific birthday. You look back and I'm already getting old enough that it's like birthdays are not that exciting at all. But maybe it's that moment that you look to and and it, it signifies something. Of all the moments you could pick up, you pick up that moment and you look at it. Maybe, maybe a Christmas morning memory that for whatever reason, that morning, that Christmas just stands out to you. It's a moment you'll never forget and it brings incredible joy. But some of those moments, some of those moments of our lives, if they're laying across the front uh, uh, in front of us today and we pick up those moments, some of those moments are painful, aren't they? Some of those moments are painful. Maybe the diagnosis and the heaviness that came with acknowledging that now nothing will ever be the same again. Maybe the phone call that you never forget, the loved one, the friend, now they're gone. That's a moment, right? But, but a, a moment that changes everything. Maybe, maybe the moment the job is over, the moment the relationship is over, the collection of moments. Why do I talk about this? Because it reminds us something really powerful. It reminds us of how fragile life is, how fleeting life is, whether the joyful moments or the painful moments, in some ways they all point to the same reality that, man, this this life is fleeting. It's fleeting. And that's exactly where James 4 is pointing us today. So uh, join me there. You've been so gracious. You've stood throughout worship. If you're able uh, physically to stand one more time, we're going to read God's word together. So if you would join me for standing, we're going to read James 4, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to have it here on the screen behind me, but I love it when you open copy of scripture. Uh, If you have your YouVersion Bible app, uh, that's a great way to turn today. We've got some, uh, an event and some resources there. But we're going to finish out chapter 4 today, and we're going to finish it out strong with some hard words, some challenging words. And if you've been with us through the study of James, you know that he doesn't back down. He doesn't shy away from hard words. But these are good words, and I, I think today, if you'll lean in with me, I believe these words and these truths can transform your life. That's a powerful statement, but I believe it's true today. So let's read. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Verse 13, James says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and we'll make money. Why? You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if It is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast. You boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The title of today's message is called Tomorrow. Tomorrow. God, thank you. This is your word. It's not our words. This is your word. And we believe that your word is alive and active and speaking. It's not just that these words were spoken, were written thousands of years ago. We believe they are speaking today to us. So speak now as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you sit down, turn to somebody and say, tomorrow, tomorrow. Type those words in the chat. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Have a seat, have a seat. It's good. Tomorrow. That's what we're talking about today. 
Uh, <clears throat> tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so I just, you know, we're talking about tomorrow. I feel like some of you might need a reminder. I don't want to, you know, <clears throat> you, can, uh, you can thank me later for that. But uh, you are loved, right? I say that often. I say that often. It, it's kind of become for me a declaration of sorts. You are loved. And when I say that, I mean, of course, that, that I love you. I love you because of the love of Christ in my heart. And I love you. I do. Some of you are like, I don't even know you do. But, but I do. I love you. But most importantly, God loves you. The God who created you, who formed you, who knit you together. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're loved. And, and I, I, I just, I need to hear those words often from the Lord. And so I, I try to as often as I can. Uh, declare those words over others in my life. And while that's true today, it's 100% true that God loves you more than you can imagine. You may think you understand that. You, may, you probably don't. It's more than you can imagine. While that is 100% true today, it's also true that you and I are not as important as we think we are. Now, that's a humbling truth today. That's not a lot of fun. You don't get a lot of amens on that one, right? That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Because we kind of like to think that we're important, <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't admit that out loud, but we, we kind of like to think that, that my idea matters and my opinion matters and what I want to do matters. And, and that's, that's true, right? We get excited about my dreams and, and my goals and, and my vision for the future, and, and that's all well and good. But the reality is today's words that we read in James kind of remind us we're not really as important as we think we are. They're, they're actually really humbling. So James gives us a really specific image. That's what we read here in verse 13. The image is of a successful entrepreneur. And this successful uh, entrepreneur is deep in the hustle and bustle of making money, of making things happen, of commerce, right? And this is, this is perhaps, again, who is James writing to? He's writing to a group of oppressed Jews, Jewish believers. So maybe this is kind of their idea of, of, of a goal, a dream. They're, maybe they're envying this kind of person because this is not the kind of people that they are. Most of them have nothing. Most of them have lack for a lot of things. They're poor. They're oppressed. But I think there's a reason James points us here because this isn't the goal. James doesn't start here in verse 13 to show us, to show these believers, these Jewish believers, who they should aspire to be. That's not that's not the point here. That's not what James is doing. This isn't a specific vision of success. Instead, actually what James is doing here, this is a vision of foolishness. Of foolishness. How is this possible, right? How is this possible? So, so if you look again with me, if you open up the scripture and turn there, the truth here, the why, it, it, the important question to ask is not the what. That's often what we do. We think that James is pointing to some specific actions and we make this passage all about the actions. Well, we can't do that, shouldn't do that. But the question here is not what, but it is why. It would be a mistake to look at the actions represented alone in James chapter 4 and ignore the heartbeat, the why behind the actions. And that's where James is trying to send us. Listen, James is not condemning planning. He's not condemning running a successful business. He's not even condemning making money. As we will see as we turn to next week, he has some warnings for, for those who are rich and wealthy. But, but the goal here is not to condemn people who are making money. That's not it. See, James is not condemning the actions themselves. But what he's trying to do is speak to the heart behind them, the why behind them. See, what we do really matters to James, but so does what we're thinking about. So does our heartbeat and our motivation behind what we do. That's the point here. So uh, I want to highlight a couple things as we go back through the text. First, 
James wants us to know that as we live our lives, we have to have a proper view of our life. Okay, As we're living our lives, it's important that we have a proper context for our life as we live it. And we see it right here. Look again with me at verse 14. It's here on the screen behind me. Look at what James says. He says this, what is your life? Again, again, he's trying to show a proper context, perspective for life, right? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, right? I don't have to show you this, but I will. You understand that visual, right? A mist that everyone can clearly see, and, and it's gone before it hits the floor, right? This is the visual that James gives us for our lives. This is the perspective that we need to have as we, as we live our lives, that our lives, though we, though we are dearly loved and though sometimes we think we're really, really important, the truth is our lives are really like this, right? They're here and they're gone. This is the perspective that James wants us to have, that our lives are what? What? They're, they're a moment, really. And some of you, you hear that, and, and maybe you're kind of young, and you're like, man, i got a lot of life left to live. But some of you have lived a lot of lives, and you read that truth, and you're like, yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you how I thought I had all the time. I thought I had all the plans. I thought I, thought I had all the tomorrows. But looking back now, it just, it's gone so quick. James wants these believers in Christ to remember, no matter how young you are, how old you are, that the life truly is a mist. It's here and it's gone. These moments that we have that we hold in our hands, if we blink and it's gone. But we live as if tomorrow is a guarantee, don't we? We live as if tomorrow is a guarantee. We live as if we're indestructible, but we don't have to look very far. We don't have to look very far to see how quickly that can change. I'm not trying to be somber today. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. <laughs> but over the past two years, even the past two weeks, right, we're reminded, we're reminded over and over and over again this truth that life is a mist. It's vulnerable, and it's painful, and it's uncomfortable. We don't like to think of it that way, but James is saying, oh, believers in Christ, you have to remember as you live your life, you have to keep this perspective because it matters. It matters, and James is declaring it. Even though we're experiencing it all around us, James says this is essential to have a proper view of life itself. What is your life, James says? It's a mist appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. Next, though, James is going to build on this idea. See, it's not just important as we live our lives that we have a proper view of our lives. It's also important that we have a proper view of God. We have to understand, again, I'll stop spraying this thing, right? We have to understand how, how brief and fleeting our lives are, but then we have to understand properly who God is in comparison to us. Look again, verse 15, instead, instead you ought to say, right, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. See, we understand that our lives are in his hands. What does it mean to have a proper understanding of God? He, he is so much bigger and greater and more power. I mean, he made the sun rise and he made snow fall and the moon is controlling the tides. That the I don't even understand how that works. And I know so many things about my body I don't understand, right? right? But God, God's got all that. 
he's so big and he's so great. And we understand this proper view of God is that he, he is in control. He is God. He is creator and he is provider and he is sustainer. And this is not just a point of view or a belief in our hearts or minds. James is going to demonstrate. Look at what it says. He says, you ought to say. In other words, you ought to act on this belief. It ought, it ought to come out in what you say and how you act and how you respond. It's not just this like idea floating around in space. It impacts your life and what you do and how you act and how you respond. And almost every single one of us today, almost every single one of us would probably say, yeah, I believe that. I believe God's big and creator and, and all that. And look, I, I get it. I look around. Life is short. I've been to enough funerals. I've been to enough family reunions where we see who's not there. I get it. I get it. And while that's true, while that's true, there's a big difference between believing that and living that out. Can I give you an example? I, I spend a lot of time worrying. I'm not proud of that. It's not like a, something I aspire to, but it's just true in my life. I spend a lot of time worrying. I, I, I worry about my family. No, I shouldn't. I know I don't maybe have to, but I do. I worry, are they going to be okay? I worry if, if I can be the husband and father that I need to be. I want to love them well. I want to care for them. I want to be there for them. And I spend a lot of time worrying. Worrying about what's going to happen to them. Worrying about what if I fail them. Worrying if I'm going to disappoint them. I, I worry. But, but look, if... If I truly believe that my life is in God's hands, then their lives, my family's life, are in his hands too. So I can be the husband and father, but I can't be God because he is. So do you see the difference between saying that's true but living my life as if it is? Because when I'm spending so many hours anxious and worrying and worrying and worrying, I'm not living as if that's true, am I? I worry about the unknowns of the future, all the what-ifs that can happen. And man, the last two years haven't been really good for that, has it? It's just sparked a whole new channel, a whole new category of things to worry about in our lives. I'm not proud of that, not excited about it, but I think about the world that we live in. I think about all the uncertainties around me. It can produce a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear over the what-ifs. And I can say that I believe God is in control, but when I, when I live that way, I'm not really acting as if that's true, am I? Because if my life is ultimately in his hands, I don't have to worry about the future. I can't control it anyway. I worry about the church. This church, it's a privilege to get to serve and lead this church, but I worry all the time about how to lead well. What will we do as a church? How should we respond? Where are we missing it? How, how can we be faithful to the mission God's called us to in these moments in spite of so many obstacles around us? I spend a lot of time worrying about it. I'm not trying to complain. I'm just sharing my heart. But if I believe that my life is ultimately in his hands, then I'm not in control, especially of the church, of his church. And if I believe that's true, then I have to believe that he's placed me here for such a time as this and that. Even though sometimes I feel like I'm not enough, I must believe that I am enough because my life 
is in his hands. Do you see the difference between saying we believe that and living as if it's true? Because I wonder how many of us would say, oh, that's, that's right, pastor. I know that. But yet, like me, there's so many areas of our life that we don't really live as if that's true. You, you might have a whole set of other challenges in your life, things that you're facing. I'm just recognizing in myself how others might claim to know this to be true but not live it out. So, so what does James do? Well, what does James call it? The person who lives their life without a proper view of themselves and without a proper view of God. Whether they claim it to be true or not, they're not living as if it's true. What does James call that person? Well, he calls that, he calls that boasting, but even worse, he calls it evil. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Man, talk, talk about humbling words. James is saying, when you're living your life, not really acknowledging the perspective of yourself, not really acknowledging who God is and what he can do, you're really just boasting in its arrogance and its evil. To live our lives that way is evil. Wow. The word boasting here in the Greek, in front of you, it reads often boasting. But the original Greek, it's often translated glory. What James is speaking here of the false glory, taking glory in things that are false. That's kind of the idea here. This false glory is not just fleeting or misguided or unwise. It's evil. It's evil. It destroys us. So a mind that is full of planning and scheming and goals and dreams, but empty of God is ultimately evil. I'm going to say that again. A life, a mind that is full of planning and scheming and strategizing and goals and dreams, but empty of God is evil. That's what James says. Man, we have so many ways, though, that we justify this. Believers, that's who James is writing to, right? People that claim faith in Christ. And there's so many ways that we as believers in 2022 justify this kind of arrogance in our lives. Uh, We might say this, we may say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Now, we dispelled that myth a few weeks back, but but it goes something like this. It doesn't really appear like God is doing anything. So, So he isn't moving fast enough for me. He's not really operating on my timeline. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make something happen here because God's gonna. God's going to bless that. Or, or, we wouldn't say this, but we kind of think it this way. God, bless, bless what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do, and then I'm going to say, God, would you bless this? Instead of stepping back and being like, whoa, my life is a mist, and God, you're so much bigger than me. And then we're just, we're going to do what I want to do, and then, and then pray, Lord, bless this, bless this. And, and we wonder why it's not really working. We wonder why that's frustrating. We wonder why we want to be in control, but then say, oh, well, you're God, and would you just bless what I want to do? It's the way we kind of justify. One more, maybe the most painful one, the I trust God, but. You would say today, I trust God, but. I mean, come on, I, I, just, I just confess to you all the ways that I worry and I'm anxious. That's, that's me saying, I trust you, God, but. I got to worry about my kids. I gotta worry about my future. I gotta worry about how I'm gonna do this. I gotta worry about how, how in the church we can do this and we can overcome this. And we, we do that all the time. We say we trust God, we say He's in control, but we live our lives anxious and scared and overwhelmed, acting as if 
It's all on me. Isn't that what I'm doing? (laughs) Isn't that what I'm doing when I act that way? I'm saying, God, I trust you, but I'm acting as if it's really up to me. There's so many ways that we justify the type of behavior that James says is ultimately evil. And James is saying, don't justify that kind of behavior anymore. You're boasting and filled with pride when you live like that. So what's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of living a life like that? Isn't it humility? The really cool thing about going through, and I know it's 17 weeks now we've been in James, and so some of you are like, all right, we, we got it. But the cool thing about that is we love, in, in the world in which we live, and social media, and tweets, and texts, we love to just like take a verse and be like, this is my truth, and that's really cool and beautiful. But the really cool thing about going through it like this is we get to see that this is like a letter, and this builds on itself. And so if you're just reading this section, which never mentions the word humility, by the way, you may say, well, what's the big deal? But if you've been with us throughout, you know James 4 is all about humility. Every week, through a different perspective and a different lens and a different example, James is hammering home this need to humble yourselves. Believers, be humble. Believers that are facing persecution and hard times, be humble. And so here, in the context of a boasting about tomorrow, I think James is again giving us a picture of humility. Humility. Because perhaps humility is having a proper view of God and a proper view of myself. That's a great definition of humility in my book. Understanding, understanding who God is, right? And he's powerful and he's good and he's my creator. And then understanding who I am, having that perspective of life. I think that's, that's the key. That's the birthplace to true humility. Because you see, often for me, once I understand who I am and how small my life really is, and I understand who God is and how great he really is, the only logical response is, is humility for me, for me. And Jesus modeled this. He modeled a life of true humility. Jesus, of course, the brother of James. And so often we're reading James and we're reading Jesus, right? And, and so uh, J- Jesus He had a proper view of himself and a proper view of God, his father. He was Jesus, right? So he had all the power and all the authority. If there's anybody that deserved to not be quite so humble, it was Jesus. Because he did some pretty cool stuff, didn't he? He healed some people and and, and miracles happened, right? But, But in John chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is modeling a life totally dependent on God's will. That was the reason for his life on earth, doing the will of his father, not coming to do his own thing, not coming to be, well, I'm part of the Trinity, I'm going to do my thing, you know, no, no, but but in harmony, I don't even understand that, right? But in harmony with with, uh, the father God, he came, he came to focus on the will of the father. And if Jesus himself If Jesus himself was focused on the will of the Father, how much more should that be true of us? Not my will, but yours. See, the more we know about how big God is, the more we understand how small we are, but really how blessed we are that he considers us. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm chapter 8, Who am I that you're even mindful of me? Because me, I'm this, right? I'm a mist. And you, you are God of creation, but yet you you love me? Who am I 
you have a plan for me? Who am I? Who am I? I uh, found something kind of humorous this week. Uh, I was cleaning my computer out, and that's like a rabbit hole, right? If you ever start doing that, like fill up your whole day because it's just like deleting files and files. But I found a, a file, and it, it made me like laugh out loud for a minute. Uh, somebody in the office next door came in, and like, are you okay? Uh, I found a, a document. I was planning out 2020. That alone should make you laugh, right? So it was in like January of 2020, and it was some goals and dreams. And I'm not like a huge goal guy. I don't have like a million goals, but I was just trying to, you know, be strategic and think about it. It was, it was not really about me personally. It was about the church, some things we wanted to do, some things I felt like God was saying to us. And, and it was like kind of, for me, pretty detailed. It was like a month at a time. Here's some things that are going to happen. And I looked at it, and I just started laughing, you know, because <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, 2020, all the plans we had, right? I just, uh, that, what, a, what a reminder of how small I really am. But there was actually some cool things. I looked on that document, and while I laughed at uh, some of the plans that I'd made that, oh, that, that never happened. Oh, that never happened, right? There's actually some things on there that did happen. There were some cool things that God did do in, in spite of opposition and a pandemic and all of those things around us. But it reminded me for just that minute how small my plans really are and that God's plans are, are so much bigger. As we close today, I want to share, I want to share this truth. It's right out of James 4, and I, I really think today it can transform your present and your future. I know that's a, I know that's a big word. That's a powerful claim, but I, as I've been, you can tell, I've, I've been up to my eyeballs on this this week, and God's been speaking to me. And so it, I believe today if you'll allow God's power, his Holy Spirit, to come and begin to work in you and, and take root in your life, I believe that this could transform your present and future too. I want to say it to you this way. It's so simple, but I think so, so profound. That tomorrow belongs to God and God alone. Now, nobody read that in the room and said, wow, I never knew that. But I want to keep it up here for a minute because the more I began journeying through James 4 and the more I began not just thinking about this, but, but allowing the Lord to use this truth to speak to my life, God really began to work on my heart because the truth is church family the truth is today is all you have that's it <laughs> that's it that's it we, we, we don't know about tomorrow do we we don't and we may say that we do and we may think that we do but the reality is man this life is so fr we don't know about tomorrow we've got today and that's really all we've got Tomorrow doesn't belong to me, does it? I don't have it yet. It can't belong to me because I don't have it yet. I don't own it yet. I can't possess it. I can't do anything with tomorrow yet because it's not here. Tomorrow doesn't belong to me, and it may never. I'm not trying to be somber today. I'm trying to be truthful from God's word. This is his perspective on our lives. That tomorrow really belongs to him. And maybe as I'm saying that, that's really humbling. Maybe it feels a little bit depressing. Maybe it feels like a downer. But I think if you'll allow God to speak to you today, if you'll allow him to begin to work, you'll see there's actually a lot of hope in this statement for your life. A lot of hope. Because if tomorrow belongs to God, I don't have to be paralyzed by tomorrow. It's good news. I don't have to be overwhelmed by tomorrow. I don't have to figure out tomorrow. It doesn't belong to me. And for those that are in Christ, we acknowledge tomorrow belongs to him. It's in God's hands. It's not really in my hands anyway. Does that mean I don't plan anything? Oh, stop. Of course you plan. 
some student that was watching was really hoping they didn't have to do their homework anymore, right? No, of course, come on, we use wisdom, right? We use wisdom, we practice wisdom. But since, listen, this is the difference, since tomorrow belongs to him, anytime I plan for the future, I do it with him in mind. I, I do so surrendered to him. I place my life, my plans in his hands because tomorrow belongs to him. I stop and often, and I, as I'm thinking about tomorrow, I have to pray because it belongs to him, right? It doesn't belong to me. I ex- examine my pride. I humble myself. That's what this idea of tomorrow really does for us, doesn't it? We humble ourselves and we view every decision in my future through the lens of this powerful truth from James chapter 4. So today, maybe you're wrestling with fear of the unknown, uncertainty over the future, overwhelmed by inadequacies. Take comfort. Tomorrow belongs to the Lord. Today, maybe you're frustrated. Far too long, you've asked God to bless what you're doing, and it's a mess. It's not really working. Take comfort. Take courage tomorrow. Tomorrow belongs to the Lord. As we close today, I want to share with you Shannon's story. Um, I don't know Shannon that well, and the reason I don't know her is because she attends our East Rock campus. And uh, today's a really exciting day for them, and we're going to conclude today celebrating that. that, uh, One year today, one year ago today, that new campus was launched. But Shannon is one story and one life that has been impacted by our church's presence in that community. Shannon's past, her past is filled with brokenness, addiction, loss, grief, destruction, destructive decisions that she's made and destructive decisions that other people have made that have torn her down and left her for dead, maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually dead. But through the hope of people that believed this to be true, to believe that God is in control and that he holds our life in his hands through that hope. Shannon's life's been transformed and she's been, she's been delivered from sin. She's found salvation in Christ. And today, today at our East Rock campus, she's gonna be baptized and she's gonna be surrounded by her family that don't even know Jesus yet, but they can't believe the transformation that's happening in her life because you see Shannon thought there was no hope for her tomorrow she thought there was no hope for her tomorrow because of all the mistakes she'd made her her tomorrow seemed hopeless but now she faces a future because she knows tomorrow belongs to the Lord and he's good and he's faithful and he redeems and he can heal and he can restore and if I can just trust him with tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't even belong to me anyway it's incredible hope church family today if you're in Christ there's one thing I can promise you about your future God is already there he's already there would you stand with me as I pray Father, today we trust you with today, and Lord, we give you tomorrow. It's yours. We can't live paralyzed by tomorrow. We can't live overwhelmed by the uncertainty of tomorrow. We can't live doom and gloom about tomorrow because tomorrow belongs to you. So we're going to be faithful today, and we're going to plan some things, and we're going to do some things, but we're going to do so constantly humbled, constantly reminded that our life is a mist, 
and our life is in your hands and we trust you. So today, God, we trust you with as many tomorrows as you'll give us. Speak to us now. Speak to us in the places where we might say that's true, but we're not living it to be true. Come, Spirit, move in our hearts now as we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.